Hello, welcome to Wellness Wisdom, where we are bringing you insights and knowledge to help you lead a healthier and happier life. I'm Shannon Spears, your host, and I'm thrilled to kick off Heart Health Month today with a special episode dedicated to one of the most vital organs in our bodies, the heart. So throughout this episode, we're going to dive into why heart health should be a top priority, explore holistic approaches to nurture your heart, and debunk some myths about cholesterol that are out there and discuss the truth about statins. To guide us on this journey, we have some incredible coaches with us again today. We have Jane Phillips, Bobby McGrath, Sarah Beaton, and Kathy Riley. Welcome, ladies. All right. So before we get started, just our medical disclaimer as a reminder that all of the information you hear here today is just for educational purposes before making any changes to your health and lifestyle, please have a discussion with your doctor to find out what is best for you individually. All right, let's take a moment to understand why this topic is so critical. Our hearts are not just a muscular pump, right? Like they are literally the North stars of our body, which I love because, you know, we have our North star tip in every episode, right? We as podcasters here, we are leading with our heart to give you the truth about your health holistically. So it's your heart health. Isn't just about avoiding heart disease, right? It's what a lot of people tend to focus on. It's about thriving and living life to its fullest and not having that worry on your mind 24 um, seven. I know a lot of our listeners probably have it on their mind because it's, you know, it's in their genetics. One of their parents or both of their parents or grandparents may have struggled with heart issues and things like that. So why is it important for individuals to prioritize heart health in their daily lives? Kathy? Well, of course, I mean, if your heart is not working, of course, I mean, that's no, not good. Um, right. You know, I mean, that, that runs everything in your body. The, the oxygen in your blood can't move, um, you know, a heart attack, stroke, what have you, you know, it's, that's devastating. So you really need to focus on heart health and, and, um, and have that as a main goal in your, um, in your, uh, I'm sorry, I'm losing my words this morning. In your no every, everyday, yeah, everyday life. So <laughs> I guess we've all been a little sick. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm right there with you guys. Um, so it impacts the entire body. Um, so every organ, uh, if your heart is not pumping properly, you're not receiving the oxygen in the blood that every organ in your body needs. It, you know, every, all the way down to the capillaries in your body. So you have to have great heart health. Um, things like, you know, we were talking, you mentioned cholesterol, you know, some, um, cholesterol has gotten a bad rap. Of course, you know, there are hardening of the arteries, um, calcification of the arteries, um, those kind of things you want to prioritize to keep them at a minimum so that your everything is pumping as it should. Um, so we definitely want to, it helps to, uh, lower your healthcare costs. If you're not having any heart issues, lowers your, um, need for prescriptions and things like that. So, um, yeah, eating, um, lots of vegetables and lower, low eating good fats, you know, not eating those seed oils and, um, uh, other, other bad fats. So I think those are some of the things that we could look at. Um, 
another real quick thing I'd like to add in is, especially for women, um, I learned this a few years ago, is that um, the osteoporosis and the heart disease actually go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, as we are menstruating, um, our bodies become very acidic. And what happens is to calm that acidity, it pulls the calcium from your bones to, um, and, and the calcium doesn't know where to go at that point. So it ends up in your um in your soft tissues, in your heart. So that's why we're having such an issue with the heart disease and the osteoporosis. And a simple K2 supplement will actually put that um, calcium back in your bones where it belongs. So that's just something I wanted to throw in there, especially for the women watching, um, you know, who are, are suffering with osteoporosis, that they need to take into account their heart health as well. Absolutely. It's a very interesting fact that a lot of people don't know, you know, we obviously we know as women, when we're menstruating, I mean, it just, it does, it wreaks havoc on our body every single month, you know, and even if you're in menopause and you're not going through that, it's the past, you know, menstruation that you've had that has continually pulled that calcium out of your bones. And so now, you know, you've got to help remedy that as you're getting older, because that's when your bones, that's why your bones are becoming weaker and you're more prone to broken bones, hips and things like that. So good point to, to add here, Kathy. So how does heart health impact our quality of life and why is the term silent killer used in reference to the heart? Bobby? Well, I think a lot of people forget it's not just the physical piece you know, all of the things that our heart does with pumps of blood and that kind of thing, but it, it's also the mental and the emotional piece of it. I think anytime um, someone's having heart issues, there's a lot that goes into it. I know my dad actually had quintuple bypass surgery um, when he was in his late sixties and it, he was depressed afterward for sure, because I think you get isolated. You're not able to do your daily routine. You've got that long recovery from a surgery. Um, and then he also had his aorta replaced, like, I don't know, 10 years later. And it really was a very big downfall for his health. And I think a lot of times when your heart is compromised, whether it's, um, you know, from disease or from illness or injury or whatever, you can tend to be you know, isolated, suffer from depression, and people don't really pick up on that. You know, I think they are starting to, to know a little bit more about that, where people that have heart issues also um, have hand in hand can have depression or anxiety and worrying about your heart. I think that's not a good place to be, to be worried that your heart is not, is going to fail on you, you know, um, and things like shortness of breath, um, chest pain, those are things that really can alter your daily life you know, course of the actions that you take in your life, you know, climbing stairs becomes harder, um, not being able to go on vacation and travel and move around, um, not being able to take, you know, time with your grandkids or even care for yourself, um, taking, you know, the laundry up and down the stairs, things like that, or just even exercising because you're getting out of breath and you're struggling. So those are all quality of life kind of things that happen when your heart is not functioning at the level that you want it to be. And part of the term silent killer is the fact that a lot of times symptoms of heart disease are not um, basically shown until you are way down the path of having a compromised heart and cardiovascular illness. And a lot of times silent killer, meaning that you can just have an event um, and have a heart attack and pass away and unfortunately not have 
seen a lot of signs of it. You might've had hypercholesterol, things like that, but um, you might not have had the chest pain and the shortness of breath and the arm pain and the jaw pain that they have. Um, so I think that's really a key for people to be able to know that they have to take care of their heart. They have to have the tests that their doctors are asking them to have and the blood work that you can do, which we're going to get into later in this podcast. But the quality of life can definitely go down when your heart is not, not, you know, serving you the way it should be. Yeah. I think, you know, you said a key thing, you know, as far as being a silent killer, I recently had a client who he ended up having um, four blockages in his heart and didn't know, you know, it's just one of those where unless you're specifically looking for it and asking the doctor to check and just have, you know, you have a doctor that wants to check yearly at a certain point, you know, he had some other health issues that we were dealing with and there was something else going on. We knew something else was going on because cortisol levels were high. Hormones just weren't right. You know, him sugar levels were out of whack, you know, and nothing we did. And, you know, we knew we were getting inflammation down in the body and he'd been really, really healthy, you know, in doing that. But all of a sudden one day he thought he was getting bronchitis, you know, it wasn't even just that shortness of breath or chest pain. It was just really odd symptoms that you don't hear talked about, you know, when it comes to heart blockages or heart attack or anything like that. And thankfully I continued to support him going, go again, go again, something's not right, go again, you know, and, and they ended up finding he had four blockages and had to put three stints in. So, you know, it's just, it's crazy. And my mom had a triple bypass um, and that was only after she felt kind of just tired at age 42, just felt tired and went to lay down and take a nap. And my dad couldn't wake her up, you know, and she ended up going in and, and getting a triple bypass that night. So, um, you know, it's crazy how it can sneak up on you. So yeah. this is why that it's really important to have this discussion and talk about how can we work on preventative medicine for heart health, you know, preventative nutrition, you know, things like that um, for our audience. So what types of labs and tests can help in that preventative care and bring awareness to potential problems that might be coming down the line? Sarah? Yeah, I have to agree with Bobby. Having anxiety about your heart is not good at all. I mean, that's just going to add to the problem. So I have heart disease that runs in my family. My grandfather had many heart attacks. I never knew him. He died of a massive heart attack at 56. And then my own father, um, which is, it's on that side of the family, um, died from a drug they gave him for atrial fibrillation. So I've always been, you know, a little worried about my heart and I've done all the, pretty much all these tests. Um, so just to go through them, Cholesterol, obviously your basic lipid profile is going to measure your total cholesterol, your LDL, your HDL, um, and triglycerides. Then your blood pressure. Most people have one at home that they can use, right? There's even the little wrist ones you can get, and that's going to check for high blood pressure, which most of us know that's a risk factor for heart disease. Fasting blood glucose, measuring your blood sugar levels after an overnight fast that you do, that's going to show that if you have elevated levels which should indicate prediabetes or diabetes, which is a, also a risk factor for heart disease. Then we have hemoglobin A1C, which provides an average of blood glucose levels over the last two to three months. And again, elevated levels are gonna 
indicate that you have poor blood sugar control and again another risk factor um good one that i love it's it's called the high sensitivity c-reactive protein test this measures inflammation in the body so this is very important to get elevated levels are going to show that you have a heart disease risk homocysteine this is a blood test that checks for elevated levels of homocysteine and this can be a risk factor as well EKG, if you've been to the cardiologist, one of the first things that you do when you get into the office, it's also called an electrocardiogram. They put the little, um, whatchamacallit, what was it called? Can't even think of the name of it. The little- uh, The little leads. Yeah, the leads on your, on your chest, right? On your legs, I just drew a blank on that. Um, that is going to detect heart arrhythmias and a sign of a previous heart attack. So that's great to do. It takes- literally seconds, the most a minute. Um, an ECG is an echocardiogram. A lot of us have had those done that uses ultrasound. And what that does is that shows images of the heart structure and function. So that can identify problems with heart muscle, the valves, the chamber, the chambers. Um, a stress test is an exercise electrocardiogram. So you still have the leads on you, but you're often on a, a treadmill and they want to see your heart function during physical exertion to detect coronary artery disease and, of course, um, exercise-induced arrhythmias. And then lastly, um, a CAC, which is a coronary calcium score. This is a non-invasive CT scan that's going to measure the amount of calcium in the coronary arteries. So high levels, again, of this associated with um, increased risk of coronary artery disease. And I just want to add... If you have an arrhythmia, which I've experienced, and none of these tests show anything, a good thing to look at is your, if you're on thyroid medicine, make sure you look at that. Work with not only your cardiologist, but also your um, endocrinologist and get them to work together because sometimes you might need to adjust your medicine. Or even if you're on T3 and T4, you might need to take out the T3 with a doctor's help to see if that's causing the arrhythmia. So just a little tip there. Absolutely, great tips. Um, I'll also add in here with, along with the lipid profile is the advanced lipid profile. And what this does is it checks the size of your lipids. And that's really, really important when it comes to some of the calcifications and blockages that may be being formed. Um, you have a higher risk with a certain size lipid um, in your body, forming in your body. So, um, and of course, you know, they can do, like you said, they can do a CAT scan, you know, now they have the non-invasive CT scans, but they, a lot of times doctors will still do a full CAT scan, especially when you're at a certain age, because they want to check and see whether it's pulmonary, um, pulmonary health, you know, any type of clots in your lungs that are forming, as well as any clots that may be starting to form in your heart. I know my dad has had one. He has one every couple of years to kind of see how his are advancing, even though they're not doing anything about it, um, which blows my mind. So, um, but, and then also when it comes to the arrhythmia, you know, I have an arrhythmia as well. I actually had heart surgery when I was 18 for um, an arrhythmia because I had extra tissues growing in my heart. And one of the, the funky things about arrhythmias is they're very hard to catch. And I know, Sarah, you've kind of gone through the same thing of, you know, having to wear a heart monitor for a week or two. And I wore probably five or six of them. And it wasn't until I sneezed in the cardiologist office one day when I was like 13 and they finally caught it. 
So, you know, it's just, it's the oddest things, but, you know, we also have arrhythmias um, that are normal when we start reaching the menopause stage. So also be aware of that. So, um, you know, your heart and your hormones are very, very deeply connected. Um, whether it's thyroid, whether it's, you know, your female hormones with menopause, perimenopause, or even menstruation, you know, they're all deeply connected and you may um, have issues, you know, during those times as well. So now we've established the importance of heart health. It's time to explore what we can, how we can nurture our hearts holistically. So you've all heard the term, you are what you eat. It is so incredibly true when it comes to heart health. Crap food in, crap health out. It's what I like to say. Your body requires specific nutrients to feed itself, including the big organs like your brain, your heart, your liver, and all three of those are deeply, deeply connected. So your daily lifestyle choices will also affect your heart health. Let's dig a little bit deeper and talk about each of these. What are some practical tips for listeners to incorporate heart healthy practices into their daily routines? Jane? Okay, sure. So I would say first and foremost, like you were saying, is look to a balanced food plan. I don't necessarily want to say the word diet, that four letter word, right? So we want to look for foods rich uh, in in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, uh, lean proteins, healthy fats, while reducing intake of processed foods, sugary drinks, high fat, high sodium items, and little did some most people know is that there's a way to crowd out the not so goods with the goods over time. And before you know it, you'll actually crave healthy. And so another thing I wanted to point out is regular exercise. And the standards are to aim for at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise per week, doing something that you enjoy. And I highly recommend doing something you enjoy so it doesn't feel like drudgery. Um, for example, brisk walking, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money or equipment or anything like that to do that. Uh, cycling or swimming. You can also do strength training exercises at least two days a week, and that'll help improve your muscle strength and overall fitness. And then there's ways to buffer stress. And oftentimes you'll hear, uh, you know, stress reduction. I don't really ne- necessarily like to use the word stress reduction. I like to say the word buffering because who doesn't have stress? Who won't have stress in daily life, right? Um, So you can use techniques like deep breathing, meditation, yoga, mindfulness to help manage stress levels. And also set aside time for relaxation and hobbies that bring joy. I think that's really important to, again, do something that you enjoy. And while stress buffering is key, also know that um, not to underestimate the importance of getting adequate sleep. That is huge, right? Uh, sleep time is a time of repair, right? So again, it's seven to nine hours of sleep, quality sleep, and uh, you want that'll help support heart health in, a, in and of itself. You are to create a relaxing bedtime routine and maintain a consistent sleep schedule. And it goes without saying as well that to quit smoking and limit alcohol consumption go a big way. Um, So it's just something to think about and start uh, making your way towards a healthier lifestyle with just 
knocking that down, knocking it out of your life if you can. And um, again, and this goes without saying is to get regular checkups and screenings to monitor blood pressure, cholesterol levels, blood sugar, other heart related indicators. Um, and I advise working closely with your healthcare providers to manage any heart related conditions. And an often overlooked but vital thing to do as well is to stay hydrated. I know for myself, sometimes I get busy and I don't drink enough water. Well, when you do that, uh, you are impacting your heart in a negative way. So, and, and as far as what you're drinking, I would recommend uh, putting kibosh on sugary drinks and instead offer water, herbal teas, or other low-calorie beverages. And what I like to do personally is use Celtic sea salt because I know that helps drive the water into my cells further. And oftentimes what I'll do is I'll put lemon in and too, just to add a little bit of flavor and interest. And yeah, minerals are really heart, you know, healthy for our heart. Yes. Yeah. That magnesium and the calcium is huge. Uh, magnesium plays a role in over 300 functions in the body, but that's a story for another day. Right. Um, next is to think about doing portion sizes and mindful eating to prevent overeating and maintain a healthy weight. So you're not putting that stress on your body's systems, particularly the heart in this case. And so one way to do it is to use uh, smaller plates, uh, pay attention to hunger and fullness cues. And so I want to direct you back to our previous uh, episode on mindful eating. So that would be, that'll be very helpful for our listeners to tune into. Um, community engagement. There are many benefits in staying socially connected and engaged with friends, family, or community groups for heart health. And um, you can volunteer, participate in other social activities that ha you have an interest in. And quote unquote, these are all heartwarming experiences, you know, to experience, right? So, but along with that, be sure to stay informed about heart health by reading up on with reputable resources, right? You can attend workshops. Uh, you can seek guidance from a trusted healthcare professional. And one last thing I want to uh, touch on is to stay positive. So in maintaining a positive outlook and not worrying about, oh my gosh, my heart is going to fail, like the other um, coaches were saying, just focus on gratitude and you know, don't get all hung up on how your heart is. Just do the best you can. And this will go a long way improving overall mental and emotional health, which, as you know, is closely tied to heart health. So those are some things that I wanted to touch on, and they're really important for our listeners to, to know and be able to act on. Absolutely. Those are some great tips. And I, I want to add in here, too, you know, a while back, probably three or four years ago, I know I saw a lot going across social media that, you know, everyone's heart has the same amount of um, longevity to it. It doesn't matter how you live, you know, like your heart's only going to beat so many times. And, and I just want to take a moment to dispel that myth. You know, if that were true, then lumping everybody into the same box for health would work. And it doesn't because we're all individual. We all have custom needs um, for our genetics, for our lifestyle, just, you know, everything that encompasses us. So please do not take that to heart. It is a myth. You know, you can 
extend your life by taking care of your body, by taking care of your heart, taking care of your brain, taking care of your liver, which is the biggest filter for the rest of your body, you know? Um, so don't, don't fall into myths like that. <laughs> so, all right. So what are some key dietary component components that can positively impact heart health? And what about, um, let's talk about some supplements for heart health as well. Bobby? I think if I could tell people to really dive into their fruits and vegetables, that would be the thing that I would say to do because fruits and vegetables bringing, um, are going to bring you that mineral base and the antioxidants and the vitamins that your body needs so that you don't necessarily have to supplement a lot. Um, it also brings a fiber. Anytime you're pulling fiber into your system and it's natural fiber that came from the earth, came from something that was grown or, you know, on a tree or grew up out of the ground, it's going to be better fiber for you than something that comes out of a jar or, you know, in a packet. Um, the antioxidants that come from fruits and vegetables and antioxidant means that it's helping you. We all go through stress throughout our day, not just mental and emotional, but actual physical stress from their environment. And so antioxidants are basically, that's what they're doing. They're taking the oxidative process, which is the aging, the impact on our cells, and they're fighting against that. And they're donating hydrogens to this process that goes on in our body. And so it's helping our body fight the battle. So the more you can add fruits and vegetables, healthy, eating from the rainbow, making sure you're, you know, trying to as much as you can source and find and purchase and afford organic, you're going to do yourself a, a big favor by not bringing toxins into your system. Um, whole grains are also a good one for fiber. As long as you're working with um, trying to really purchase organic grains, because anything sprayed with glyphosate is going to put a burden on your system, which also includes your heart. You want to work on, if you're, Working on, you know, or if you're eating, if you're a meat eater, really try to source those meats that are high quality, grass fed, meaning they're not getting a lot of grains, which is where the glyphosate comes from. Um, eating some, you know, poultry and fish and things that are leaner. Um, tofu, if you're a person that eats tofu, beans and lentils are a great way to do, you know, improve your fiber. And then the healthy fats. And a lot of people get very confused about fat. But you're going to want to stay away from the high, um, highly processed and highly heated fats. So a vegetable oil does not have really any vegetables in it. So scratch that off. Canola oil comes from corn, which is probably have, has a lot of glyphosate in it. And stick with like the olive oils and the, the true olive oils that potentially even come from, you know, Greece and Italy and places where they actually grow them properly. Um, and then looking at avocados and nuts and seeds, um, flax seeds, a great heart health, um, something to eat with that. And you can put that in lots of different things and walnuts and, um, fatty fishes are also a great way to get your intake, which is going to help improve your cholesterol levels, surprisingly. Um, and even out our omegas that we're taking, because a lot of times our American standard American diet is super high in omega sixes, which actually cause us to have more inflammation. So the more you're eating the omega threes that are coming from the fatty fishes and the nuts and seeds and things like that, you're going to have a better chance of balancing that out. And then you want to watch your sodium. 
Sodium is going to come in when you're eating processed foods, salad dressings. We all know adding salt to our diet or adding some salt to something that you haven't even tasted. I know I see a lot of people just grab the salt shaker, shake, shake, shake all over everything before they even taste it, whether it's soup or meat or whatever. Taste your food before you salt it. And then moderate your alcohol consumption. And you know, if you can get rid of it, great. Because if you've got a heart issue, alcohol is not your friend. Um, but if you can't, then moderate it down to as minimal as you can. And keeping it social and not drinking during the week would be a great, a great thing to adopt. Um, and then, it's, like I said before, remembering that supplements um, are to complement your healthy diet and not replace it. So you're not going to want to be taking handfuls of different supplements, um, you know, not really remembering why you're even taking something, maybe sit back and put your bottles out and kind of re-educate yourself on what, why it is that you're taking it. Don't just take everything that everybody says that you should be taking, um, you know, work with your doctor or health coaches are great for supporting that. Um, they can help you kind of figure out where your weak spots are and see if there's something that you can tweak in your diet. And then if you do need to add in like a fish oil, making sure it's a good quality fish oil from a wild caught source that's going to have less toxins in it. And you can also use a plant sterile if you're not getting your fruits and vegetables. Um, that's something that you can try. I know a lot of people that are struggling with their heart are on statins and coenzyme Q10 is something that you can also add as a supplement. If your provider, or your cardiologist isn't talking to you about it, you probably want to ask about that because you can have a deficiency in that, which is where your energy comes from. And then fiber supplements sometimes can be something that you need to take on top of just eating a higher fruit and vegetable diet you may just need more fiber. Very good recommendations, Bobby. Thank you. And I'm, I want to talk a little bit about salt intake. You know, we hear a lot, um, especially, you know, doctors are like, you know, limit your salt intake, limit your sodium intake. And that's really what it is. It's more about the sodium content. So if you're eating a lot of canned foods, processed foods and things like that, that it's high in sodium. And iodized salt, which is regular table salt, is not healthy for you at all. So, but what, so when it comes to, and this is a, a myth that I know I have to talk about with my clients quite a bit, there is a huge difference between table salt, which is iodized salt that's out there and getting something like Celtic sea salt, you, you know, the difference between table salt, iodized salt and your Celtic sea salt is your table salt has been messed around with by humans. It has a lot of the good stuff taken out, all of those minerals taken out and iodine added back in, a synthetic iodine added back in. And a lot of times it was done because of thyroid health and things like that, but it doesn't make a difference. It, it's a myth. So going with something like Celtic sea salt, true Celtic sea salt has so many minerals that can be used. So it's much healthier and you don't need as much. You know, literally just a little tiny sprinkle on your food, um, adding some to your water throughout the day. It's going to give your body so many minerals and nutrients that you you don't get throughout the day in regular food. So it's it's really helpful for that. Um, also, I want to add in real quick as well that vitamin C with bioflavonoids, um, the bioflavonoids specifically like hesperidin, rutin, and quercetin, which will help to maintain healthy veins and monostronum nidium, which is a seaweed variety. It's a rare seaweed variety, but it's clinically been shown to help repair 
and strengthen the integrity and normal function of the arterial wall lining. And that's what happens when our bodies get inflamed. And most of the time it is getting inflamed from sugar, not from high cholesterol, but it, we are artery walls lose the flexibility. And when they lose the flexibility, they can no longer move the things through the veins properly. And that's where we start getting this buildup of gunk. So doing some things like, you know, um, supplements that are going to help with maintaining healthy veins to help repair and strengthen the integrity and the normal function of our veins, it's going to give some of that flexibility back and help things move through and, and keep them strong. Kathy, did you want to add anything? Yeah, one thing that I noticed what hasn't been mentioned yet and has been really a hot topic lately um, is uh, enzymes, um, specifically natokinase and lumbrokinase. They have been shown to help with the, the clotting going on, microclotting going on. Um, it really helps to disintegrate any protein particles that are floating through your, your venous system, your um, the blood system. Um, so looking at one of those, if you do have um, some heart issues, might help to clear some of that up. Um, lumbrokinase and natokinase would be a really great addition to some of the um, supplements that have been mentioned today. Absolutely. And I will put here that if you have had stents put in, you cannot use or and you have a you're on a blood thinner, any type of blood thinner, you cannot use natokinase. So just be aware of that. All right. So let's talk about um, the importance of cholesterol and debunking some of these cholesterol myths. Okay. So one of the common source of confusion when it comes to heart health, obviously, is cholesterol. Like it's all we ever hear about. There's so many things that are floating around that. Um, and cholesterol is actually very, very important for our bodies. Like our body has to have it to function on so many different levels. So let's separate fact from fiction and talk about why cholesterol is important and the role and what role inflammation plays um, in our bodies with our heart health. Kathy? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a myth out there that, you know, everybody thinks of high cholesterol and it's just evil you know, that you, you don't want to have any cholesterol at all. Um, your cholesterol actually um, helps to create your hormones. Um, so that's really important that um, all of your hormones are working properly. Your um, dopamine, serotonin, all of those are created from your hormones. So not necessarily just having um, high cholesterol is always a bad thing. There's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, the HDL and LDL, which we've talked about a, few, a little bit already, um, and the size of the particles should also be looked at. So I think that's really important that you understand the difference between them. Um, and eating, you know, cholesterol is also a, mis, uh, a myth. Um, you want to eat um, you want to stay away from the margins, margarine, excuse me, the trans fat, like Bobby was saying, you know, eating the good fats is going to be beneficial for your heart, getting your omega threes and avoiding the um, saturated fats. Um, lowering cholesterol is not always the best thing for you. Um, as I was saying, your hormones are created with the cholesterol. So um, I've even heard a, um, a one of the doctors say that you know, as you age, your cholesterol is supposed to go up and, you know, take this with a grain of salt, ha ha ha, Celtic, please. Um, that I've even heard it said that if you're over, you know, a certain age, that 200 number that they're always trying to get you at, I would actually look at 200 plus the 
your age. Say my yeah. husband is 67 years old. So if his cholesterol is under 267, he should be still in the range um, of that functional um, cholesterol level. And in fact, um, over the years, over the last 50 years, the cholesterol numbers, that, that number, that goal that you've been shooting for has been lowered over and over and over again. And I hate to say this, but um, I think it's just to sell more prescriptions, more, more statins. So and it's, um, it's literally because what they're trying to do is not working. Like the lack of education that is out there and it's only suiting the pharmaceutical companies, right? That's what the doctors right. are shooting for. That's what they're being taught. So, so yeah, I just want, I want to yeah, bring some of those um, myths up that you may not be aware of. And um, medication is maybe not your answer either. You know, you need to look at getting the the diet and exercise right um in addition to you know maybe reducing your statins if you can if you're already on the statins so look at other options for you but uh definitely diet and exercise is going to be huge for um improving your heart health and what about you know because everybody's on this these low fat diets right you know um Either, either they're on the super high fat diet and they're on something like keto or they're on a super low fat diet. You know, the doctors are always recommending when it comes to high cholesterol, right? That yeah. it's low fat diet, low fat diet. But, you know, as we talked about, not all fats are harmful. So talk right. about that for just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. You, you need to get your omega-3s like we were talking about. And that will actually help your heart disease um, and your cholesterol numbers if you're including the good fats versus the saturated fats and, and things like that. So they're actually beneficial. Avocados, nuts and seeds, like Bobby was mentioning earlier, um, you definitely want to stay, from the, stay away from the low-fat diets. In fact, when I see let's say, you know, cottage cheese or sour cream, anything low fat, I, I avoid those like the plague, because they're actually adding more sugars in them, which is really bad for your heart. So watch those low fat, you know, fads, I definitely would say I, I go for the higher fat options myself. Yeah, I agree. You know, whenever I see, you know, recommendations, I mean, I even have an anti-inflammatory program that I run with my clients. And one of the on the food list is low fat yogurts, you know, um, low fat cottage cheese. And I, I always, you know, turn that around and say, you know, I know that's what it recommends, but I recommend that you go with the full fat because sugar is always added to those low fat products and sugar is in the, I mean, it's the biggest cause of inflammation in the body. So, you know, we're, it's kind of zeroing each other out if trying to reduce inflammation in the body yet offering low, low fat foods, you know, and it, the myth is, you know, it's because it helps you lose fat. Well, if your body is able to digest that fat, break down that fat properly and use it like it should, then there's no worry about it. And of course, that's where things like digestive enzymes and everything come in at as well. So, all right. So I want to talk real quick about cholesterol's role in our bodies and why it's actually important. So cholesterol is a type of lipid that performs many essential jobs in your body. Lipids are substances that don't dissolve in water, so they don't come apart in your blood. Instead, they travel through your blood to reach different parts of your body that need them. Cholesterol has many important functions in your body, and these include um, with your cell membranes, cholesterol helps to form protective layers on cell membranes, which control what can enter or leave the cell. Bile production, so cholesterol helps the liver make bile, which is needed to digest your food. 
hormone production, like you were talking about, Kathy, you know, as a certain age, you know, you want that cholesterol to be higher because it's actually helping, especially in men, it's helping to produce the extra testosterone they need as they get older because the body's naturally, you know, it's just kind of that testosterone level isn't where it needs to be. So the higher the cholesterol, the more the body's going to be able to produce that higher level of testosterone to help them out, which with men specifically definitely helps um, guard against things like depression. So um, it also helps the body produce just sex hormones as well as vitamin D. Vitamin D is not necessarily a vitamin, it is actually a hormone. And a lot of people don't know that. So also um, cholesterol helps to build and repair cells. Our cells are repairing and rebuilding and regenerating every 90 days. So to be able to regenerate healthy cells, they need the nutrients. Otherwise, they're just reproducing lazy and unhealthy cells. Um, metabolism. Cholesterol helps the metabolism work efficiently. So for those of you who are looking to lose weight, right, um, you want to speed up the metabolism, you've gotten older, your metabolism slowed down, cholesterol is hugely important in that um, um, thing that's going on in the body, lack of words today. <laughs> So when you hear about cholesterol, you mainly hear about HDL, which is the high density lipoprotein, um, which is your labeled as your good cholesterol. And then LDL, which is a low density protein, which is labeled as bad. There are, however, more and more cardiologists that have been digging in very deep and going, um, doing some research on LDL being considered that bad cholesterol. And they're finding that LDL is not necessarily bad. It's the inflammation happening in the body from your food and lifestyle choices. LDL is just as important as HDL. Um, and it's, it's LDL, um, I'm sorry, it's HDL counterparts. So you have to have a healthy balance. And what lab tests, unfortunately, don't um, show is that everyone is different. Like you were talking about, Kathy, everyone has a customized level that's perfect for them. So throwing everybody all into this box of, well, your cholesterol is too high or your cholesterol is too low or this and that, right? Like it's not balanced out. It varies per person. I mean, I've had, you know, people who need to lose a hundred pounds or more, but their cholesterol levels are fine. Like their hearts are very, very healthy. They've got a lot of inflammation, their metabolism slowed down and they need to lose the weight but their hearts are fine. You know, um, we've done multiple, um, types of testing and everything. So it varies by person. You can have someone who is, you know, 90 pounds soaking wet and have the most inflamed heart out there. And they're on the verge of a heart attack at any second. So, you know, lab tests don't always show what is truly going on inside. You have to, you know, when we talk about labs and we've talked about this in a previous episode is that labs are based on, a multitude of sick people and where they were at. And so now they've kind of set these new normals. And that's why the labs keep changing because more and more people are sick. So now we're changing the, the lab values. So um, how does inflammation play a role, a negative role in heart health? And, and what is the number one risk to heart health instead of cholesterol? Sarah, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, so first of all, let's remember inflammation is a natural part of the body's immune system's response to injury and infection. What the, what's detrimental to the heart is going to be that chronic inflammation. So chronic inflammation is going to contribute to many different things in the body. So one of them is atherosclerosis, which is a buildup of plaque in the arteries, and this can increase your risk of heart attacks. Another thing it can do is it can lead to plaque instability. 
So this is going to make them um, it more prone to rupture, which can lead to the formation of you know, blood clots and then lead to a possible heart attack. And then it can lead to oxidative stress, which is an imbalance between the free radicals and the antioxidants in the body, which I know Bobby talked about earlier. Um, oxidative stress can damage the cells of the arterial walls, which can lead to atherosclerosis. Um, it is also linked to insulin resistance, which, as we talked about earlier, can lead to type 2 diabetes, which is, of course, a risk factor for heart disease. And if you want to measure your heart disease risk, um, again, I mentioned earlier the high sensitivity C-reactive protein test. Look into that. If your heart, if your levels are elevated, you are going to have a marker for systemic inflammation. So I do want to say just some little tips here to address inflammation and heart health. You want to focus on consuming an anti-inflammatory diet rich in fruits, veggies, whole grains, your healthy fats, and of course, reduce those processed foods, sugar, and trans fats. Also, we talked about earlier, get your regular physical activity in, work on stress management, and good sleep is also very, very important. And then some examples of supplements that can help with inflammation, a look into your curcumin and your omega-3s. And another thing to note, make sure that you look into potential underlying causes of inflammation, such as food sensitivities, gut health issues, and environmental toxins. Those are often overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely overlooked by, you know, our conventional physicians and everything, right? But they are a huge part of inflammation in the body for sure. So our exploration of heart health today wouldn't be complete without discussing the role of medications, particularly statins, in managing heart health. First, what is a statin and how does it work? So statins are a class of medicines used to lower cholesterol. While some of the cholesterol in your blood comes from food, most of it is made by the liver. So your statins work by reducing the amount of cholesterol made by the liver and helping the liver remove cholesterol that's already in the blood. Statins may also potentially reduce inflammation in the artery walls, has not necessarily been proving, it's just potentially. This can lead to blockages and damaged organs such as the heart and brain. As far as benefits of statins, conventional medicine says that statins, when used as indicated, reduce a person's chances of having a heart attack or stroke, needing surgery, angioplasty, or stinting to improve blood flow in an artery and dying from a heart attack. Obviously, those are some pretty big benefits, right? However, what you need to know in nine times out of 10 are never told by your doctor are the following facts and drawbacks of using statins. The benefits of statin drugs have been widely exaggerated and any benefit has nothing to do with their ability to lower cholesterol. Statin drugs deplete coenzyme Q10, which is one of the most important nutrients for the heart. Depletion of CoQ10 can cause muscle pain, weakness, and fatigue, and the brain depends on cholesterol to function optimally. It stimulates thinking and memory. Statins lead to reductions in sex hormones. Sexual dysfunction is usually a common side effect of statins as is not talked about. And statins interfere with serotonin receptors in the brain. There's indications that statins may be associated with a higher risk of cancer and diabetes. Statins should not be prescribed for the elderly, and they frequently are. And a vast majority of women, they frequently are. 
and they should never be prescribed for children. Overwhelming research shows that any benefit from statin drugs is seen only in middle-aged men with a documented coronary heart disease. A disturbing fact is that because a majority of doctors dismiss side effects as being directly related to statin prescriptions, the side effects are grossly underreported. So I really want to highly encourage our listeners to grab a copy of the book, The Great Cholesterol Myth. It's been out for probably 10 years or so now. It is a wonderful book. There is a lot of research um, that is um, talked about in the book. They give you links to the research. You can go, you can do your own searching and reading and, you know, come to your own conclusions. You know, I've had several clients who, you know, they've been on statins for several years and they've got major side effects in their health. They've got increased inflammation in their body. They have things like gout, which is uric acid buildup in their joints, um, which is a known side effect that is not talked about very much, you know, and what I've done is really prepared my clients to have these conversations of giving them the education on all of this and prepared them to have these conversations with their doctors. And several times they have ended up educating their doctor, you know, and they're, they go and look and go, oh my goodness, you're right. How did I miss that? You know? So that's really by design by the pharmaceutical companies, you know? So this is what is pushed on them. They're only told what they need to know and and that's what they do. So, um, you know, what are, before we kind of close out, what are some other things that individuals should consider when prescribed statins, Bobby? I think people have to realize how they work. And when a statin or any other pharmaceutical for that matter goes into your body, your, your, your body has to figure out what is friend and what is foe and what is filler and what's supposed to be, you know, what can be used. So your body has to work really hard. And in particular, your liver has to work really hard on figuring out, figuring out what components of the pharmaceutical that you're taking that it can use And then the rest of it is fillers or um, parts that your body as, you know, as far as getting it absorbed, can't use. And so it has to do some work on uh, in the liver to to separate all that out and then excrete it. And so you got to realize the more you're on, the more your liver is taxed and your liver is your master detoxifying organ. So my suggestion for somebody that is going down that road of like, well, just give me a stat and I'll lower my number. You don't want to be chasing the number. It's not the number that's going to make you healthy. It's your actual body function. What's your liver function? What are your liver enzymes? What, um, you know, what, how's your blood pressure? All of those markers we already discussed in this podcast, those are the makeup of what, you know, your body is doing. And so when you're adding a statin in and you're going to have some of those side effects, you have to realize it's going to compromise the quality of your life and other things especially your liver health. And when your liver is struggling, which is where you're detoxifying, that's where you're going to have, you know, issues later on in life where you just, your body can't keep up. And I will tell you one of the ways that I figured out that, um, I had mold toxicity, which I've been working my way for the last four years to get through was my cholesterol was over 300. And, um, one of the things that happens when your body gets a high toxic load is it stores toxins in your fat. And so I had a lot of um, toxins stored in my fat and my body was producing excessive cholesterol from my liver 
to buffer the toxins and to buffer the acidity. So sometimes it's not always what you're eating. It can be that you have a high toxic load. So that is one of the things that I would suggest for people before they ever start a statin is to do the lifestyle changes, get some work done, blood work done, and check in with maybe you have a toxin load that you're just unaware of. And by lowering your toxin load, you can actually lower your heart health risk and your cholesterol. And then you don't even need to go on a statin if you're working with a provider that is more savvy than potentially just a straight conventional doctor, they'll be able to pick up on, on that kind of information or a health coach because a lot of health coaches have a lot more knowledge just in the toxin arena than a, a typical um, internist does because that's just not their schooling and it's not their wheelhouse. Right. And we know what tests that you know can be done to really check for a lot of those things as well. Bobby, I, I love that you shared that story because I think that is a perfect example of what our audience needs to hear and what the body should be doing. The normal reaction our body should be having when it comes to cholesterol to protect different things that are happening in the body. It's, you know, it's, it's like the immune system trying to fight against viruses and bacteria, right? Your body was putting out the cholesterol to make that buffer because toxins were being stored in it. It couldn't get rid of them. So, you know, to point that out, I think is fantastic. So thank you for doing that. Yep. So, as a wrap up um, to the today's episode, I want to thank all of you ladies for sharing your valuable insights. Um, let's summarize what we've learned. So heart health isn't something to take lightly, right? It's the compass that guides us towards a healthier, happier life. And to our listeners, I want to encourage you to take action today. Make these small changes in your lifestyle, embrace nutritious food choices, and seek clarity on your heart health journey. Remember that your heart is your North Star, guiding you to a longer and more vibrant life. Some quotes to consider is, the problem with heart disease is the first symptom is often fatal. Um, that is by Michael Phelps. And then again, most women do not realize that heart disease is the number one killer of American Women by Monica Parter. So before we go, here's our North Star tip for the day. Take a moment each day to reflect on what you're doing to nurture your health, whether it's going for a walk, choosing a heart healthy snack, or simply managing stress. These small steps can definitely make a difference um, significantly in your heart health journey. So thank you for joining us today on the Wellness Wisdom. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe, leave a review and share it with your family and friends. Um, and uh, we'll be back soon with more valuable insights to help live your best life. Until then, take care, stay heart healthy and keep chasing your North Star. Have a great week, everybody.